You're listening to the N2K Space Network. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Everybody, it's time to finally leave the Space Force alone and quit ragging on him for not having Guardians actually launch to space. Because it is finally happening, people. No, this is not a drill. A Space Force Guardian is actually going to be launched to space this year. T-minus. 20 seconds to LOS. Go for Today is, at last... February 1st, 2024. I'm Maria Varmazis, and this is T-Minus. The first active Guardian is heading to space. Rocket Lab looks to raise more cash. NOAA's OSC is working with SpaceX on collision avoidance software. And our guest today is Valerie Vasquez. Director of Global Public Policy and Regulatory Strategy at True Anomaly. Stay with us. And let's take a look at our Intel briefing for this Thursday. And yes, we've got news of our first Space Force Guardian going to space this August as part of the NASA SpaceX Crew-9 mission to the ISS. Space Force Colonel Tyler Nick Haig is his name, and he will be the pilot for the ride on the SpaceX Crew Dragon and the flight engineer once aboard the ISS. This will be Haig's third launch to space, but his first time as a Space Force Guardian. And yes, he's technically not the first Guardian to in space. That was Colonel Mike Hopkins in 2020. Remember, the Space Force is still new as of 2019, so Colonel Hopkins was in the Air Force at the time of his space flight and then later became a Guardian. Similar situation for Colonel Haig with his two previous space flights, but this will be his first launch as a Guardian. So, congratulations to the Space Force for finally being able to put that joke about not having launched an actual Guardian to space to rest. Rocket Lab is looking to raise $275 million by offering financial securities known as convertible senior notes. This can provide the company with additional capital for various purposes, such as funding new projects, expanding operations, or paying down existing debt. The choice of convertible notes allows investors the option to convert their debt holdings into equity, providing them with potential ownership in the company in the future. So what's this mean for Rocket Lab then? Here's the summary version. They're buying down debt to increase their cash flow, and they're doing this now because they believe they're going to grow over the next five years. And given that they just had their first successful 2024 launch already, there are definitely positive signs there for Rocket Lab. 
NOAA's Office of Space Commerce and Space have entered into a no-exchange-of-funds cooperative research and development agreement, known as a CRADA, for research and development activities related to automated collision avoidance and satellite conjunction assessment screenings. Under the terms of this CRADA, OSC will perform an astrodynamics evaluation of SpaceX software. As the federal agency responsible for providing civil space situational awareness, OSC is standing up a modern SSA system, the Traffic Coordination System for Space, known as TRACS, and engaging satellite owners and operators on best practices, standards, and processes for long-term space safety and sustainability. This CRADA's research efforts will assist OSC in developing capabilities to deconflict and manage the increasingly crowded orbital environment. Yeah, space is expensive, and it's about to get a lot more costly for launch customers in the U.S. As of this summer, customers that use Space Force's ranges will be charged more in user fees. The move is thanks to the Fiscal Year 2024 National Defense Authorization Act, signed into law late last year, which allows the branch to collect additional fees from range users. The language limits the indirect fees that Space Force can collect to 30% of what a company is contracted to pay in direct costs, with a cap of $5 million a year. The funding will help the service improve its range facilities and operate them more like commercial spaceports. This will offset the Space Force's financial year 24 request for $1.3 billion over the next five years for infrastructure projects aimed at increasing the number of launches that it can support. The Space Development Agency has awarded Momentus, a contract modification valued at nearly $1.2 million, to continue development of the Vigoride Orbital Service Vehicle for Department of Defense mission requirements. This Small Business Innovation Research Award, or SIBR Award, with a total value of around $1.9 million, will allow Momentus to tailor the capabilities of its Vigoride Orbital Service Vehicle to support a wide range of DoD payloads and mission requirements, setting the stage for a rapid transition to an in-space flight demonstration. The United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, also known as COPIOS, have been meeting in Vienna this week, as you might have heard. The committee has released a (laughs) non-paper, a non-paper, titled Pact for the Future, focusing on enhancing global governance, especially in the context of outer space. It's a long non-paper, but key points include fostering peaceful and sustainable uses of space, addressing the challenge of increasing space debris, and promoting international cooperation for space traffic management and space resource activities. The non-paper document emphasizes the urgency of developing frameworks for these activities, including the coordination of missions and data exchange related to moon and celestial body exploration. It also underscores broadening space cooperation for inclusive, pragmatic decision-making regarding space sustainability and leveraging space technologies to support life on Earth. The proposals aim to foster a sustainable, peaceful, and cooperative approach to space exploration and use. And we've included the full non-paper in our show notes. Also out of the summit, the United Nations for Outer Space Affairs and ExoLaunch have signed an agreement to provide free launch opportunities for CUBE satellites, also known as CubeSats, to offer more countries access to space. This collaboration is part of the Access to Space for All initiative, which aims to foster capacity building in space science and technology 
by providing hands-on and educational opportunities. Yunusa says access to space for all allows participants to gain invaluable knowledge and experience while supporting space activities in developing countries. Ooh, it's a space plane story next. And Polaris Space Planes has completed the first rocket-powered roll test of its Mira demonstrator. And Mira is 4.25 meters long and is equipped with four kerosene-fed turbine engines and one of the company's AS-1 LOX kerosene linear aerospike engines, which is designed to produce one kilonewton of thrust. The test was conducted at Lemwerder Airfield near Bremen in Germany. And during the roll test, the aerospike engine was fired for just three seconds at 60% thrust. The vehicle's safety system then automatically vented the remaining oxygen, enabling ground crews to safely approach it following the conclusion of the test. The company says it is working towards a maiden rocket-powered Mira flight this month. And Japan's iSpace has signed two memorandums of understanding related to payload services and strategic cooperation with Thailand's MuSpace, a satellite provider and satellite communication service provider. The collaboration marks the first step towards future lunar missions between the two companies. And as part of the agreement, iSpace and MuSpace will conduct joint market development in Japan and Thailand to accelerate the number of lunar orbiting satellite missions, including small satellite payloads and lunar lander payloads, with mass of up to 100 kilograms. And today is the last day of conference activities at Space Week in Florida. Izzy House is the content and media director for Spacecom, and she brings us a roundup from the last two days of the event. This is Izzy House with an update on the past two days at Spacecom. Yesterday's highlights included keynotes from industry leaders like Tori Bruno from ULA, NASA's Katie Swells, and Shelley Brunswick. Mark Bell from Terran Orbital and Major General Purdy played a video game to provide a unique way to deliver their message. Sessions included subjects relating to off-planet commercialization, cybersecurity, robotics, exploration to Artemis, the moon, Mars, and beyond. They ranged from living and working on Earth to living and working off Earth. Jose Hernandez provided an inspirational talk that transformed the audience this morning. And we will finish the day with an update from the National Space Council and the 50th Space Congress meeting. Spacecom had its biggest year ever with 4,000 registrations. Connections were created, friendships were born, and deals were made. So don't miss it next year. And thanks again, Izzy House, for that update. And that concludes our briefing for today, everybody. Stay with us to hear from Valerie Vasquez from True Anomaly. You'll find links to further reading on all the stories that we've mentioned in our show notes. And there are three additional stories for you in there today. One's on the new struggle over space between the United States, Russia, and China. Another's on the busiest January of the space age. Can you believe it? And a final announcement of Black Star Orbital's new Arizona spacecraft factory. You'll find all these stories and more at space.n2k.com and just click on this episode title. Hey, T-Minus crew. If your business is looking to grow your voice in the industry, expand the reach of your thought leadership, 
or recruit talent, T-Minus can help. We'd love to hear from you. So just send us an email at space at nduk.com or send us a note through our website so we can connect about building a program to meet your goals. Imagine a world where you're always one step ahead of cyber threats, where your defenses are impenetrable because you see what others don't. Welcome to Team Cymru's Threat Intelligence Solutions. With real-time access to the world's largest threat intelligence data ocean, they enable you to turn the tables on attackers. Transform your security from reactive to proactive through accelerated threat hunting and incident response, made possible through automation. Empower your team with visibility and insights to start defending your organization like never before. Team Cymru, be the hunter, not the hunted. Learn more at team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. That's team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. My guest today is Valerie Vasquez, Director of Global Public Policy and Regulatory Strategy at True Anomaly. Val started by telling us about how she ended up in this role. Yeah, um, so I've been working in the security environment um, for the government for the past 20 years. I started out as an Air Force officer in logistics readiness. Um, I transitioned to the reserve and I was lucky enough to use my degree, which commonly doesn't happen in foreign affairs, and transition over as a working regional security and foreign affairs issues for the Secretary of the Air Force International Affairs as a reservist. So that was really um, unique. And then I had a parallel career path of being a civil servant. So working for the Defense Security Cooperation Agency, which was an amazing opportunity to be able to understand um, technology policy and how that intersects to getting those capabilities to our foreign partners to enable, you know, global security. And I also worked for the Secretary of the Air Force International Affairs as well as a um, civil servant. That was an awesome opportunity that kind of gave me the background to kind of look at, okay, what do I really want to do in industry? And I thought to myself, I want to work for companies in emerging technology and help them accelerate their growth and to be able to posture them from a policy perspective to get their products and services out to not only international customers, but um, the U.S. government as well to enable global security. So working for True Anomaly in this really dynamic, you know, emerging environment of space technology seemed like a perfect fit because I could utilize these skills and, and help get these capabilities to um, the U.S. and our foreign partners. Yeah, I, I can absolutely see how that would be a great fit, given your extensive experience. Sometimes I ask people, why space? And it almost feels a bit like a silly question asking you, why space, given your professional background? But all right, I'm going to ask you anyway, why space? <laughs> well, I, my first endeavors in industry were working for um, General Atomics, which was a UAV company, and then working for Sandbox AQ, which was a quantum company. So I kind of wanted to have more of a well-rounded background in emerging technology. And I was really focused on space being my next thing. Mm-hmm. And space is cool also. All right. So that brings us to True Anomaly. So um, 
if there's like a pitch that you often give about like what your anomaly is, I would love to hear it because I'd love our audience to learn as well. Yeah. So we were founded in 2022, which um, most people find shocking given um, our advanced growth that we've had thus far. And our mission is to revolutionize space security and sustainability. We're a deep tech company developing advanced hardware and software systems to ensure the sustainable security of space. So we were founded by former space operators. So Evan Rogers is our CEO, and we have three co-founders who all worked as operators or technologists in this domain, and they really helped craft and define operational concepts for modern space security operations. So it was a natural fit for these individuals to say, how do we enable the space domain? We need to get out and we need to start this company to build these solutions that address space domain awareness, space security, and readiness challenges that there isn't a current solution for um, on the open market right now. Yeah, there's a great need. And uh, 2022, yeah, that is that is more recent than I would have thought, but that's fascinating. What That's a the great attestation of the company's uh, progress and growth. So yeah, could you walk me through a little bit about I was on the website. There is are there are a lot of solutions there. So I, <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow, this is a lot. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. So it includes like, you know, our solution set includes, you know, differentiating combinations of, you know, dynamic software applications. So if you go on our website, you see Mosaic and, th- and that's what we're talking about. And we're talking about utilizing that for um, uh, ravenous proximity operations and non-earth imaging, those software capabilities. And the products are products and services, and they're also solutions for space um, operator training, capabilities testing, and rapid response missions. So we have these capability suites, and it's, you know, recon, which is our space domain awareness, looking space-to-space imaging, our response, um, which is that uh, response, rapid response mission capability, and range, which are those testing capabilities. Yeah. I'm always extra fascinated when I see AI get mentioned because it is so amazing how much AI is revolutionizing things. Um, and I saw that AI is also part of what what you all are building. And I just thought that was super neat, especially when you all mentioned that you're a deep tech company. Uh, I just I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm, gl- I'm glad you noticed that. It's, um, you know, AI, cyber, and space are kind of now, you know, all ingrained as one together because they all have to be thought about um, when trying to create new capabilities in this sustainable space area. Yeah, it, it's amazing. The the convergence of the three has happened so fast. Like I come from the cyber world and just uh, I never thought I'd be talking so much about space as I have been, uh, but it's just been so uh, cool. It's the only word I can think of. It's really cool and it's, it's needed. So um, it's just so fascinating to see what you all are building. Given what you do specifically, Val, at, at the at True Anomaly, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, you mentioned global enablement of global security. Uh, so your thoughts on um, working with international partners, especially, you know, given what's going on in the world right now. Sure. Yeah. So at True Anomaly, I work the global public policy and regulatory strategy for the company. So um, with that, what we are doing is we're um, having a mindset of designing for exportability and interoperability to support U.S. allies and partners. So we take a proactive approach to aligning our products and services with regulatory classifications um, to open up with less restrictive regulatory um, classifications to open up the availability to serve commercial, civil, and global customers. So with this um, interoperability, we're able to utilize the same types of um, products and services to support all of our customers. 
And we're taking a really deliberate approach um, related to the actual architecture. So focusing on a hybrid architecture level design that attributes for resiliency, flexibility, interoperability to enable, you know, supporting national security priorities from a U.S. ally partner and even a civil uh, perspective, or even looking at how we address um, commercial customers' needs and having that flexibility in our architecture enables us to do that. Yeah, it, it that sounds like a smart approach to have it built in as opposed to uh, thinking about it later and going, oh, how do we do that? I imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, reverse engineering or R&E is, is pretty difficult after the fact. I can only begin to imagine yeah. how difficult that would be. So it seems very smart to be have have that baked in. Um, space domain awareness is a phrase that comes up a lot. There is a lot of activity going on there. Your thoughts on that? I think that space domain awareness is um, is something that's talked about on a lot of different levels. And I think that thinking about space domain awareness in reference to um, how we can support all aspects of um, space security looking at how we support, um, you know, civil space like NASA and other elements like JAXA for Japan, how we support, um, you know, commercial providers um, that have their assets in space to where um, they're trying to understand what the awareness of the space is around them to protect their assets. And then you can look at it from a security perspective for national security, not only for U.S., but also for um, partners on how they secure their sustainable space. Yeah, for commercial folks, a lot of it feels new. It feels maybe not like an area they were thinking about as much before, and now they really have to, or they needed to be thinking about it yesterday. Given you all have a lot of expertise in this field, I, I'm just curious, like, it, maybe advice sounds a little glib, but um, what, what <laughs> I guess it's an extremely complex area, and it's not like, oh, yeah, one thing will fix that. Uh, but what what should commercial providers really be thinking about if, if hopefully they already are, but I mean, what should they... Maybe advice is the right word. <laughs> what, what would you say to that? <laughs> well, I think that um, understanding how non-Earth imaging can really impact, um, you know, what what the security of their assets are um, is something that they should really think about and look into companies like True Anomaly that can, you know, potentially provide these types of awareness needs to secure their assets and to make sure that they're looking forward at what the business opportunities are for them in the future and to make sure that their assets are secure to enable them. Yeah, absolutely. Especially as things get more and more crowded and busy in all the different orbits. Uh, this is just such a pressing need. Um, Val, thank you so much for walking me through sort of the the high-level overview of True Anomaly. I did want to congratulate you all on a really fantastic Series B. That came in December, right? Yeah, we're so excited about it. We're able to utilize that $100 million in funding that we were able to secure from Series B. Um, to accelerate our growth and to continue to um, get great people, develop workforce, and um, move forward to um, work on our objectives and priorities for um, the U.S. government and our allies and partners. I would love for the audience to kind of like keep a tap on True Anomaly. We're launching um, our first two satellites in March on Transporter 10, so we're really excited about that. And we're excited about, you know, more contracts to follow from our um, SIBR that we were awarded from um, U.S. Space Force. So we're excited about the future, what we can do for Space Force and, and how we can partner with commercial providers and our international partners to enable space security. We'll be right back. 
With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus-year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Welcome back. Today is the start of Black History Month in the United States, And the theme for 2024 is African-Americans and the arts. So what's all this got to do with space, you might be asking? Well, National Geographic is putting the A in STEAM outreach and has dropped a trailer for its forthcoming feature-length documentary, The Space Race, which weaves together the untold story of the first Black astronauts seeking to break the bonds of social injustice to reach the stars. The full 91-minute documentary will air mid-month from February 12th on Nat Geo and will then be on Hulu and Disney Plus from the following day. And it will cover events from 1963 when the assassination of President John F. Kennedy thwarted Captain Ed Dwight's quest to reach the moon, to 2020 when echoes of civil unrest sparked by the killing of George Floyd reached the ISS. Nat Geo describes this documentary as a tale of world events colliding with the aspirations of uncommon men. The lineup of contributors is impressive to say the least, and friend of the show Charles Bolden can be heard narrating at the start of the trailer. We covered his incredible story of how he came to NASA in a Career Notes episode. If you haven't heard it, we strongly suggest going back and finding that in our archives. And in this documentary, there's also Victor Glover, Leland Melvin, and Jessica Watkins in the lineup of the contributors. We've included a link to the trailer in our show notes for you to enjoy. That's it for T-minus for February the 1st, 2024. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector. From the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester. With original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Jen Iben. Our VP is Brandon Karp. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. T-minus.